Welcome to the AccuSprout Podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of Magical Networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists. And I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping, and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the AccuSprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages. Not catch-up packages, guys. Catch-up packages. And a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because, honestly, I never, since the beginning, have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash AccuSprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane has you covered. Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to accusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code accusprout1mo at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account. Welcome to the AccuSprout Podcast, where it's my mission to create a supportive community for new practitioners of Chinese medicine, while I give you the information and inspiration to help you grow towards your vision of success in your first couple years of practice. This is Stacey Whitcomb, and I am your host. Hey, 
Kate Sprouts, welcome back to the show. I have a confession to make. It's been, I think, four weeks since I've put out a podcast. And I usually, not usually, I've made it a habit to get one out to you guys every other week for quite some time now, but I fell and broke myself. So I live in the Pacific Northwest and I was hiking with my little dog, Bacon, and he took off and I took off after him and I stepped on a slippery log and bit it. The next thing I knew, I was holding my radius and ulna in place and trying not to go into shock. So good times. A nice orthopedic surgery followed with a plate and pins and plenty of deliciously addictive opioids. And I am feeling like I'm sort of back in the saddle again. So I'm able to type for little bits of time so I can produce this podcast again. And I have been able to get back at the clinic a little bit too. So anyway, my apologies for being inconsistent. Dang it. And honestly, you probably didn't even notice because this world is so full of noise that missing my podcast once in a while probably did not shake your world. So anyway, I'm happy to be back and I'm happy to bring you this next episode. I wanted to have a quick story time before we jump into the podcast. By the way, this upcoming podcast is actually an interview of me, which is scary as A student reached out to me and wanted to interview me. And so I asked her if we could turn the mic on. And so that is what we did. And she did a spectacular job of interviewing me. And just like everybody else who shows up to be on my podcast, being interviewed on a podcast feels pretty vulnerable. So this podcast took me a long time to edit because I was editing myself. And I want to give you guys a pretty clear picture of who I am. And so I I uh, was trying not to over edit and over edit. Trust me, if you have the chance to delete half of what you say, I promise you, you will want to. <laughs> I've had this on my mind for a while that I wanted to bring up to the new practitioners, to anybody starting their practice, because I think that this there's a topic that we don't talk about very often that should be addressed, and it is imposter syndrome. And I have imposter syndrome <laughs> all the time. I had imposter syndrome in school. I had imposter syndrome in school because I worked in the admissions department when I first started and I had access to everybody's records. And y'all are smart. You guys are super, super smart with incredibly high grades. And I didn't actually have as high of grades as most of the people that get accepted into Chinese medical school. And I didn't know this at the time, but I'm sure that I was accepted based on my experience because, as you know, I have 20 plus years of massage experience. I've run my own business. I've worked with patients one on one a lot. And my education was good. It just wasn't amazing. All I know is that the records that came, came in, I was like, whew, wow, I don't belong here. You guys are all so much smarter than me. And I, now I, I felt that way in class a lot too, because I process things differently than some people or what looks like smart people, the way they process. I don't necessarily process things as that way. So I felt like an imposter in school quite a bit. And I think that there are a lot of you out there that feel the same way. Now, Let's turn to business. I also feel like an imposter in business occasionally. 
I think I really felt that way more so in the beginning. You know, I'm a couple years in now, but I definitely feel that way with this podcast, mainly because there are people out there who maybe have been out for 20 plus years. And I wonder why the hell somebody doesn't show up and help the new people (laughs) explain things to us. I say too, because I am also new, but ultimately it comes down to, well, why not me? Right? Why not me? I know exactly what it feels like to be new because I'm still a little bit new and I know what hoops to jump through. I'm just a couple steps ahead of everybody else, perhaps, or my listeners, you guys coming out of school, maybe just a couple steps ahead, but, and maybe big steps too, because I have run a business and I have had a practice before, but this is different. And yeah, I've spent a lot of time thinking, like, why me? Why me? You know, well, why not me? Why not me? Because I'm showing up and I'm doing it. So why not me? I just watched this documentary the other night on David Foster. And the docu- name of the documentary is Off Off the Record. And David Foster is this, he was like a child prodigy with perfect pitch, who then grew up to be one of the best music producers on the planet. And he really, like if you were if ever into 80s music, not necessarily the hip hop and the R&B, but really a lot of the ballad stuff that came out in that time that was pretty epic. That was his work. And this is a documentary about him. And he says, and this is not a direct quote because I'd have to go back and watch the entire thing to find the quote, but the gist is on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday, I feel like I'm doing some really cool stuff and I'm producing some really great music. On Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I think I suck. I think that I need to do more and I need to do better and that what I'm doing is never good enough. And that is really, honestly, how I feel a lot, a lot. I don't necessarily always feel that way in the clinic, not quite that much, but definitely with the podcast. With the podcast, I feel like, dang, I nailed it that day. Dang, I nailed it that day. And then I'm like, oh, man, this sucks. Uh, it took me uh, an entire week to edit this particular podcast because I had so many technical issues with my software and I had, I was editing myself. It was pretty ugly. So anyway, enough about that. I just want you to know that if you feel like you have imposter syndrome, you are not the only one. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just keep going. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. You are good enough. You've got this. And you know what? Why not you? So that's what I have to say about imposter syndrome. Don't don't sit on it for too long. It's a waste of your time. Okay. So now this upcoming podcast is an interview. A student contacted me. Her name is Sarah Levake. And she is a student at the Northwest University for Health Sciences. And I also want to give a special thanks to her supervisor, who is Kim Christensen, for making your students listen to podcasts. Thank you. That's very cool. I believe that Kim's making her students look at different forms of media and and different ways of gaining information once you're out of school. And through that, she had them take a look at some of the podcasts, including my good friend, Michael Max, and some TED Talks, which TED Talks, I think I just sleep, eat, and breathe TED Talks sometimes. So they're very inspiring. 
I appreciate that. Thank you, Kim. And for anybody else, any of the other students, any other students, if you want to reach out to me, if you think you have a good topic for the podcast, please reach out. I'm really pretty wide open at this point, And I do my best to get back to everybody as, as much as possible. I don't think that's always going to be the case when things get overly busy. But I, I am interested in what it is that you're struggling with, what it is that you want to learn, and what you find valuable about this podcast so that I can continue to provide you with some valuable content and help. So I really appreciate you, Kim. Hopefully, they'll continue to pay attention and reach out for help to me and you in the future. So anyway, in this interview, Sarah and I talk a lot about the transition from being a massage therapist to being an acupuncturist. So if you're a body worker, you're going to enjoy this episode quite a bit. She and I are both long-term body workers, and there is a bit of a mental transition when you are going from uh, massage to acupuncture and how you view your patient. We also chat a lot about me which is highly uncomfortable. But we talk about what my practice looks like now. We talk about where I live, why I live where I live, some of the struggles that I've had in this town as far as establishing a practice, how I have kind of come and gone during the pandemic, what my business has looked like throughout the pandemic, and lots of other good nuggets for you to kind of feast yourselves on. Thank you so much once again for listening. Feel free to reach out. You guys can DM me on Instagram or send me an email anytime you want. All right. And without further ado, I introduce Sarah Levake. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Yeah. So I originally hail from the East Coast, from the Boston area. I grew up there the first probably 20 years of my life. Decided to reconnect with family out here in the Midwest, where I currently live in Minnesota, right outside of St. Paul. I, I live here in a, a town called Woodbury, Minnesota. And I have a daughter and my husband, and I actually have an undergrad degree in communication studies and journalism uh, from the University of Minnesota. And for probably a good year, year and a half out of that, I decided to go back to school, become a massage therapist, and have been one ever since for 16 years. And that's where you really resonated with me with your with your history. So anyway, about two years ago, I had a thumb injury and it really made me uh, reflect a little bit about where I'm going and and where I see myself in terms of practice. You know, I always had that pipe dream of if I had the time and the energy and the money, this is what I would probably do. I just decided maybe this is God telling me something. And and so I applied uh, to Northwestern Health Science University in Bloomington, Minnesota, and I got in. So I decided, okay, if I don't do this, this is going to haunt me. I'm that kind of person where I just, I have to go after it. Now I'm in the acupuncture uh, master's degree program and I'm about two years in. One of my classes right now is a practice management. And that's where we had to listen to podcasts like yours to get a feel for what it's like once we're out in the field and the many obstacles and opportunities and challenges that lay ahead. So yeah, so that's where I am. I want to talk a little bit about the thumb injury and the coming to Jesus thing that happens. You all of a sudden realize your entire career and your income and everything is hinged upon your thumbs. Yes. It is such a scary feeling, isn't it? There's an absolute element of fear. And, you know, it's not just fear of being able to provide and earn and, you know, give back. But there's also, I don't know, like many of us body workers, we're extremely empathetic and we have more of a mission to our work, I believe. And so it's almost a part of you. And you think, oh, my gosh, 
that's part of me. What am I going to do without that? It gives so much to you and it's so fulfilling. And so that's also where the fear factor comes in as well. Oh, yeah. So you felt like you might be losing your ability to stay connected with the healing process with other people? Yes, because I do feel like that is a true calling in my life and my part of my purpose here. Yeah, similar thing happened to me. I think I was about... Gosh, I think around year like 15 or 16, I started waking up with trigger finger. So the tendons were so tight in my fingers that my hands would curl up and the ends of my fingers, the most distal joint would be bent when I woke up and I would have to snap it open. That is how I woke up in the mornings. It was awful. I started sleeping in carpal tunnel braces at night. That is a, it's a turning point. I always tell all massage therapists that I don't care where you're at in your career. You need to start cultivating a plan B. If that means going back to school now while you're still an amazing massage therapist, I highly suggest it because it's a limited time offer that career. And it is very fulfilling. So I'm sorry about that, but I'm also not because now you're you're moving forward into a, an even deeper exploration of what it's like to. Yeah. And I, I do maintain a practice as well, albeit not full time. So I'm still getting the hands on. I still work with my patients. I'm actually in more of a clinical setting. I work with two chiropractors. And so I do way more therapeutic work and more sports work, orthopedic, kind of like where you're coming from. Your instructor made you guys listen to podcasts. What kind of podcasts did they suggest? We had to listen to many, including the Geological one, which I love with Mike Max, among others, and a lot of TED Talks. And it's all great information. But I found myself laughing out loud, listening to your uh, podcast in particular, and especially the point where you were talking with Dr. O'Hare about how you would be grounding a patient when you were massaging and they just... The energy, and and I have patients like this, and so I just giggled to myself because it's like, okay, I so want to help you, but it's just, I, it's not vibing. We're just not meeting, and this isn't working. And you kept saying, okay, setting the intention, go in peace, go somewhere else, go somewhere else. And eventually they would. Yeah. So for the listeners, if you haven't listened to that episode, the episode is with Kaylin O'Hara. It was my very first interview, actually. And we were talking about, it's really so much fun when you can really define who it is that you want in your practice Mm -hmm. and who you vibe with. And so we were discussing that. And so when I had my massage practice and I hit the groove where I was just had so many people that I enjoyed having on the table, every once in a while, I would get somebody that just was absolutely not my person. And as a matter of fact, the whole time I was massaging them, I was like, I do not like this. (laughs) And that is not the way you want to be on somebody's massage table. That is a very bad place to be. It's a very different situation as an acupuncturist. Obviously, if you want to fire a patient, you do that properly in in, in procedures. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have reasons to fire these people. You know, it's just, I just didn't feel good. I always close people and ground them. So I always put my thumbs on kidney one and kind of say a little prayer and a thank you for being a part of my experience and trusting me with your health and your body and your mind and your soul. But for people that I didn't really want in my practice, I would just say, go somewhere. We are not a, we are not a good match. We are not a good match. I wouldn't say it out loud, but I would just say that silently. And then, of course, the next trick, because you can't do this trick, honestly. (laughs) The next trick is to actually don't ask them if they want to reschedule. Hell, and then if they if they did anyway, usually it took like two or three times to get people to energetically leave your space, and you didn't have to have a conversation, and you didn't have to hurt feelings. You just use this little 
energetic push. So, so you, you know, I thought about, or you just thought it, it was funny. I thought it was funny because I've had that feeling like, ah, oh, you know, and there's this one patient in particular and she bops between myself and another practitioner who's a Reiki master and does a wonderful job in the clinic. And so she'll always look at me and say, I get her today, huh? So we just kind of laugh. You try to meet people where they're at. And we do have a lot of people that come in in pain and just genuinely want to relax and and feel better leaving and lighter. And I think it's helpful to know how to ground yourself and protect yourself too. So it's all a part of it, which I'm so thankful for, especially going into acupuncture because you're still working with a person's energy probably more. I found that the difference is that it's much more intense. Mm. It's far more serious. So you're actually in a chiropractor's office right now. I wasn't working for anybody else. So I wouldn't be like pushing their patients out the door energetic. But getting back to the way that I feel about acupuncture versus massage is that for me, I feel uh, so much more pressure so much more pressure. I mean, it did dawn on me that I was going to be practicing medicine. Of course, that's the first thing they tell you in the interview. Like you do realize you will be practicing medicine. And yeah, I, I think that I just didn't realize how and to what extent that was actually going to be. Yeah. And so my second patient, when I opened my practice had brain cancer. And while obviously I'm not treating the brain cancer, I felt so overwhelmed, but I also felt like I'm, I can do this. I'm not going to refer this person out. We already created a relationship and there's no reason unless I feel like I need to confer with somebody or she's not getting progressing. But um, I cried before that first visit, knowing this was coming through the door. I had a complete meltdown. You know, it's really big. And I really, man, I love my job and I really care about people. I was very scared. And that's the difference. Like it can get really intense. You're not just massaging somebody's sore muscles or stuff that's in spasm. Right. Exactly. It's more specific work. So what else you got? Well, okay. So I'm going to just dive into my questions here. You are out in Bellingham, Washington, and you are owner practitioner of Fairwinds Acupuncture and Herbal Medicine. And then let's see, it says you are board certified and a Chinese medicine herbalist. So would that be comparable to a doctor of Chinese medicine? No, that means I'm board certified through the NCCAOM. I'm a board certified herbalist as well. So when I took the boards, I took all of them where you can opt out of the herbal board if you want to. So... I'm a diplomat of oriental medicine. I ask because, of course, it's different at every school. And as our field changes, there is more traditional Chinese medicine than oriental medicine. There's doctorate of all sorts of things that are coming up. And so I'm just... As a student, that gets confusing, doesn't it? There's so many acronyms for everything. And you're like, I don't really know what hoop I'm supposed to be jumping through or what. Yeah. Yeah. So what's happened recently is gets confusing for a lot of people is that I think over the last, this started when I was in school, a bunch of schools rolled out what's considered a professional doctorate. It's not as intensive as a DAOM or a DACM, and it's confusing. But what they're doing is they're combining the master's program with, the do- with a doctoral program. But let's put it in a hierarchy because it'll make it more understandable. You can have your master's program. You can have your master's. Mm-hmm. Some programs are now rolling into a master's slash doctorate. So when you graduate, you'll have a doctorate. But there is still like this top tier, knock it out. D-A-O-M. And that would be like the crown jewel. 
-hmm. That's actually the educational one. The other one is like a little how to write research papers, how to it's it's the quick and dirty. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, but it's the quick and dirty doctorate. (laughs) It It is. is. It's the letters. When you do those programs, you're really getting the letters. Now, yes, everyone's going to be mad at me. You do get more education. So there is that. I, I will say that you did go to school. You did earn that. But the DAOM is the true real doctorate. That's good to know. All right. So you have been practicing for four years now, correct? Um, technically, I've been practicing for like three. I graduated in 2017, but it was like December of 2017. Okay. I wasn't able to see your website because I can't access it. So all, r- truly, the only information I was able to get on you is through LinkedIn. You're talking about my Fairwinds Acupuncture yes. website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I pulled it so that I could make it more ADA compliant. I figured you were updating it. (laughs) It's under construction. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, it is. Okay. But from what I got, you know, really was magnetic for me in terms of wanting to reach out to you and touch base. And I love how you put that it's a perpetual knowledge seeker, teacher, and magical cultivator of supportive networks. I love that. I just love it. I, I think, you know, it takes a village, whatever you're doing in life. And networking is huge huge. So yeah, I loved that about that. I know that you've practiced massage successfully for 20 years. You're now currently specializing in a treatment of pain, orthopedic, sports injury, neurological conditions, and facial rejuvenation, and cosmetic Mm. acupuncture. Is that correct? Yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm so curious with your background, you know, in being very much like me working with triathletes, a lot of bikers you were working with. How did you transition or did you not? Did you just integrate that client base into what you're currently doing now? And then what made you think of what facial rejuvenation? That sounds awesome. If that's what you're doing, what made you go that route? Okay. Define transition first. I guess you could transition on multiple levels, but more than anything, your mindset. Like, as you said, you had that the first patient who had brain cancer, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as a massage therapist now. No, no, no. I have to think about, you know, <laughs> an acupuncture way of doing yeah. things. You know, part of the reason why I went back to school is so that I don't have to work as physically hard as a practitioner and find more balance so that I have that longevity. Well, I guess that's my question to you is, oh, do I really cup? Do I gua sha? Do I strip this muscle out? Or do I just put a couple asha points here and call it a day? Oh, I love this question. I'm ready now. What I remember is working so hard to get people's traps to release and it takes elbows and fingers and grit. <laughs> and it's so hard. Like trigger points are evil in people's traps. And I just remember like, oh, I just like having my fingers in there and be like, I'm trashing my fingers right now. Just wait. You are going to be so excited about gallbladder 21. It's just going to make you cry. I already want to needle it and I can't. <laughs> I'm telling you the first time you needle that and it jumps, you're going to just like, It'll be like an oh moment, like, oh my God, that was it. And that is literally it. Yeah. You hit a motor point and you don't have to do massage. So the transition there for me, when I see a new patient, how do I incorporate my massage skills or not, or choose to use it? I think it's just an evolution. I still feel like I'm a new practitioner because I am. I use my palpation skills. Like when someone says my back hurts here, Well, first of all, I already have the knowledge of most people don't really know 
how to explain their pain. And so someone will say my hip hurts and point to their lower back or whatever. And then I do orthopedic tests, et cetera. But I think because I had so much experience getting people on the table and then figuring things out as I went through the massage, Mm -hmm. that sometimes I'll just get somebody on the table face down and have them have their shirt off and I'll just start working with my hands to see really where everything's bunged up after I've done the orthopedic tests. Sure. And then I actually find where the problems are with my hands. And then then I bring in the Chinese medicine and treat constitutionally, like open the dew channel or open the diamai, or this is a liver chi stagnation issue. So we want to move chi. I go from that perspective of the Chinese medicine. And then I, oh boy, I love orthopedic acupuncture. And this even takes like takes massage to the nth degree. Memorizing and learning where motor points are in the muscles, it gets super technical, but because I have those skills, Mm -hmm. I can just touch you and know where to go. It's so much faster because your hands are already in the game. Sometimes because I'm newer and slower Mm -hmm. with the orthopedic assessments and with all of the tests, sometimes I feel first and then I work backwards. So if it's not glaring at me that this is going to be like a disc issue or something that's really big and it's probably just muscular tension, I'll feel first and then I'll do a couple of tests and then we go with the first treatment and and see how it goes. And then I may do more evaluations on the second visit. Usually I like try to do some testing, get the needles in. Afterwards, sometimes I'll do cupping or I'll do a little bit of massage because here's the thing. People still love to be touched. People love massage. And I think coming from massage therapy standpoint, because some of the techniques out there with unwinding and Barnes technique, he teaches you, for instance, with that particular technique, uh, myofascial release. If you go into a room with a plan, you don't have a plan because it's you reading that person's body. And so for me, looking at acupuncture, it's like, okay, what kind of mindset do I have to go in? Is it different with every person? And so just wanting to see what your experience has been like. And of course you do more orthopedic, so it's pretty straightforward, but you know, you never know what would walk in your door and what you might have to do or rely on from past experience too. I think I was so surprised that acupuncture is so different than massage. You say meet people with where they are. With massages, that's a matter of pressure and a matter of like boundaries and how you touch and how you move and whether the people are holding their breath. You have to read all of those things. But with acupuncture, it's actually more difficult. You have to learn what they're going to be able to hear. In other words, some people you can talk about chi. Some people you can talk about how their emotions are related to their problem. And some people you just can't. Some people will come in and they are just shut down and they won't talk to me. They've got this like chip and block. And for me, I'm just like, okay, for for you, the fewer the words, the better. Let's just do some testing, get through the interview. And I'm just going to do like the most soothing, relaxing technique with my sarins, <laughs> you know, and just see if I can get you to crack open a little bit and just relieve some tension to get you back to the second visit. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of building trust, much like it is with massage, but it's really a matter of like in that first visit, you have to figure out how you're going to establish a trusting relationship more than anything. I think one of my favorite instructors who was our orthopedic teacher always said, never, don't try to hit it out of the park on the first visit, you know, just... Sure. Just get through it 
you'll hopefully have a second visit, but just try and get them to relax more than anything. And maybe if you can relieve some pain, that would be amazing too. So anyway, I probably just took off on that. (laughs) No, no, you're good. And I think along those lines is with me, with massage, I'm partnering with people. I'm not going to do all the work for them. And that's what I love about Chinese medicine. It's not linear, it's cyclical. And so you literally go in, like you said, meet the person, figure boundaries, trust, treat them where they're at, and then let their body tell you where to go from there. It's different in that way. It's constantly changing. Whereas massage is like, oh, how do you feel now that you're off the table? Oh, I see your your gait's better. Uh, your headache's gone. You know, with Chinese medicine, it's not so instantaneous in terms of um, the longer effects, if you may. Yeah, sometimes it is. I call it the one hit wonder. And as part of my interview in the beginning, this is how I explain how we do treatment. Usually it takes about six visits. Sometimes it can take three to six before you see any, any results. But the more chronic the condition, the longer we may have to do. We'll reevaluate it at the sixth visit. Please don't expect the one hit wonder. I think sometimes when new patients come in, they kind of think, oh, I'm only going to have to do this once. Well, that's possible because I've done it. Maybe I didn't do it, but it, it has happened, but it's not likely. And it's probably not going to happen. Oh, don't expect that. Yeah, I always try to explain the one hit wonder thing. People do progress a little more quickly than you think, especially if you're doing orthopedic stuff. That's actually a really good segue. You were doing orthopedic pre-acupuncture. How did you determine what kind of practice you wanted to have? What modalities you wanted to have. I'll lead into this with the facial rejuvenation explanation. When I moved to Bellingham, I knew that I did not want to take insurance. Washington has a lot of companies that will pay for acupuncture. And so I knew that I was going to be targeting people with disposable income. I wasn't sure if I had retired this working with athletes. I didn't really know if that's what I wanted. And I thought maybe I would just see what happens, see what I attract. And I just went wide open with whatever's going to come my way. Maybe that'll be what I want. And that, that for me was a bad decision. I am 50. This is a long game. And my long game and my history is rich and deep in sports medicine. And that is the language that I breathe and eat and love. And it is also my personal life. So I don't know why. I just felt like a new person when I graduated. I felt like I was no longer good at anything. I quit doing massage. And all of a sudden, I was a beginner again at something. (laughs) And I was just... Yeah. I know where you're coming from. I wanted to be good. I I have a saying on my computer. It's okay if I get a B. I still matter. And I know it right from the get-go. And And nobody cares. Nobody's going to ask you. And as a matter of fact, one of my favorite instructors used to say that the best practitioners were actually the B students. After he said it, I started thinking about it. I think what he's saying is you sort of have to actually have social skills too. So you can be super brainy and get straight A's and have grown up inside your books and inside of your computer. But if you don't have good interaction skills, bedside manner and a good balance, you're going to not be the best practitioner. I always love that. So if that's helpful to anybody, I really hope it is. But anyway, facial rejuvenation acupuncture. So when I graduated, the very first thing I did was went and took facial rejuvenation acupuncture because here's a group of people that will pay lots of money for acupuncture. And through doing so, I thought it was a really great marketing venue too. Like, cool, get them in. Then they start seeing things like, oh, my mental emotional state is much better or, oh, my neck pain went away. Like many things that I do when I really stretch 
and throw myself really outside of my initial trajectory, it flopped. It just wasn't me. I think it's kind of neat. But I also think that I sold myself a little bit short. Like I said, this rich history and all this education and this talent in this one place. And I dumped it and went somewhere else and it didn't work. So it's just a lesson. I'm making this a really super long answer. But I want to share with you, since the pandemic hit, I've been really focusing on this podcast because I think it's something that really needs to be filled Mm -hmm. for new practitioners. And I really do have a passion for helping new people get launched. But I'm also went through this whole mental reevaluation of my own practice and what it is that I want, because as I'm teaching everybody else, really get clear on what you want, on what's in your toolbox and who you want to see. Been an ongoing process and it has multiple iterations, but I am rebranding right now. I was doing this meditation last weekend and they said in the meditation, if there was nothing keeping you from being who you are. So in other words, if I wasn't trying to impress anybody, if I wasn't trying to do things like everybody else, if I wasn't afraid of being exactly the practitioner that I want to be and running the exact practice that I want to run, what would that look like? That takes courage. That takes courage because our medical system is wrong in so many ways. I was recently in a doctor's office, Western medicine, because I'm 50. So I have all these fun things to do now. The care that I got was condescending and it was like being in a mill. Nobody there was enjoying their job and nobody there really felt like they cared too much about the process. I was so disheartened. I was just so deflated by the whole process. And I just thought, have the courage, have the courage to have the practice of your dreams, no matter what that looks like, because that is the truth. People say, how are you going to get patients? And starting from this very small seed of exactly what you want, exactly who you are, exactly what's in your toolbox and shutting off Instagram and shutting off where other people are accessible. Successful. I just talked to a, an acupuncturist yesterday, um, trying to get in with. She's like, Oh, I'm so booked. I have a wait list. Do you mind waiting for a month? And I was like, I don't have a wait list. I was really sad for like four hours. I was like, Oh my God, I'm just, I want more patience and you've got a wait list. And I thought, Well, you know, do you want her practice? Do you want her life? She's been doing this for 12 years. And no, I don't want her practice. Absolutely not. Is is far from the practice that I want. And so you can't do that. And I do that all the time. I just can't do that. So ultimately, my new practice is my target market. My patient is an action taker. And the practice looks like acupuncture and coaching. And here's why. Because I am super empathic. And people who don't show up and do the work drain the life force right out of me. That's my fault, not theirs. But I'm not setting my practice up where I'm giving away so much all the time and feel like I'm dead at the end of the day. What I've noticed is I tend to educate a lot, kind of like the podcast. I talk a lot. I educate a lot. And I do that with my patients, too. And when they listen and when they take action on the things that I tell them, they get better. When they don't listen... I get worse and they don't get as good. And then they feel like they didn't succeed. That's a problem of my filter of who comes in my practice. So I treat action takers who want to be the hero of their own health. I want to be able to teach them, but I don't want to teach them when they're on the table. And so part of that's going to be coaching like on nutrition and coaching on exercise rehab and coaching on, you know, like say somebody gets a new diagnosis of lupus and they're freaked out. 
Well, their fear is going to drive them to have this desire to take action. What are they going to do? People don't know what to do with a diagnosis like that. Mm -hmm. Well, we we do the acupuncture to help balance your body and help you get to a state of better mental health and just better overall health. And then we do the coaching so that we can look at the rest of your life and put it in line, a better balance, whatever that may mean. I will take a look at what their superpower is, where they feel strong and focus on those things. And then also take a look at what are their cleaning products look like? What does their lifestyle look like? And so this kind of coaching or um, additional consultation, even food therapy, you know, along those lines, would you charge separately for those services beyond the acupuncture? Yes, because people will pay for coaches. This is this insane thing that I've noticed. People won't pay for doctors, but they'll pay for coaches. Now, for anybody who's listening, who's like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I did a podcast with Rachel, the attorney, coming up, and we talk a lot about your legal liability if you're shifting your language from healthcare practitioner to coach. And so my suggestion in listening to this is if you're going to go that direction, you better listen to that podcast. But you have to stay in your lane with each one. And so it can get complicated and don't jump out of the state either. You have to be careful about that. So that's my rebranding. And by the time, you know, that you see it or don't see it or whatever, it'll probably change again. But that's my latest thought. No, that's very cool. And and good luck with that. I wish you the best. Yeah, luck thanks. With it. yeah. So I know you still massage patients to some degree. What kind of credentials have you kept? I know in my state, Minnesota, we actually don't have a state regulation in place, as sad as that is. I am board certified, which is, as you know, the highest credential you can have in our field as massage therapists. So have you kept any credentials? And then I think I already asked you about transitioning mentally from vigorous work to more of the the less invasive work. Heavenly. Oh, it's kind of actually more invasive, I think. In the state of Washington, acupuncturists are allowed to do massage under their license. Really? And does it have to be classified as a two-wee-na? No. By the way, you know exactly what you're talking about. The way this works, when you graduate, I, I highly encourage this. I am actually creating files for new practitioners. But one of the things you need to do is print or download into a spreadsheet your scope of practice for that state so that you know exactly what you can and cannot do. In Washington, it does like... East Asian practices like shiatsu and twina. But then I think somewhere in there, it also says manual therapy, which is massage. Somehow they made it broad enough Hmm. so that it flows through. Okay. So I did not have to go back and get my state massage license or maintain my AMTA. Wow. That's Mm -hmm. great. So just generally, how many hours do you practice a week? How many patient, how many cases do you take a week? I mean, I know right now you're very podcast focused yeah. with COVID and such, but what does your practice look like right now for you on a weekly basis? Well, it's changed a little bit through COVID. It kind of went through a flow because I actually treated patients on my deck last summer. So I guess during that time I was seeing maybe like six or seven patients. Right now I'm doing about three. (laughs) I just work on Friday afternoons right now, but that's a transition. So I really wanted to get the podcast up and running. And what I didn't anticipate is that I've been jonesing to tell you guys how how hard this is. You're just living it. It takes me, it takes me sometimes 
25 to 35 hours to edit one podcast. Wow. That's not even the interview or writing up the uh, show notes or doing the social media. Or I do pre-interview meetings with a lot of people. We do some planning with the Mindset Mondays. I actually do research and then I do the writing and then I do the podcast. Those are actually a little easier to edit. But yeah, any given interview, like my interview with um, Travis of Root and Branch, oh my gosh, that interview took me 35 hours just to produce. And I'm not getting paid for it right now. So <laughs> it's brutal. Yeah, it's really, it's really hard. So it has been my focus to just do that and then the acupuncture. And I haven't felt compelled during the pandemic to really push my acupuncture practice. Also, I was going through a little bit of a growth spurt, trying to figure out my branding and where I wanted to go next with it. Spring is starting to make me feel like, yeah, I'm ready. So now I've been looking for lease spaces. But I'll tell you, I love doing this podcast. I'm just going to open like a, a membership pod for new practitioners where we'll do a, a Q&A twice a month where you guys can show up online and ask me all of your questions. We'll have a forum so that you can help each other. And it's not going to be on, you know, like a Facebook where everybody's being unkind. And then also based on kind of what everybody's going through and has questions about, I'll have one class once a month, just based on that kind of the need of what of the group. And then I'm also going to start doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. This has been really kind of my passion project. And then my own practice is just running on its own. I'm juggling a lot of things right now, but my acupuncture is picking up again. But my ideal, my ideal practice for acupuncture is just to work two days a week in the office and run two rooms and then do the AccuSprout stuff on top of it. Got it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you were in suite 201 on 10th Street. Is that right? That's where I am oh, now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So is that is that your workspace currently? I know you were outside during COVID, but I guess what I'm asking yeah. is, what is your clinic layout like? How many rooms do you have going? My current situation is I'm sharing an office or someone sharing their office with me right now. That's one of my friends who's a massage therapist. But the this is in kind of the kitschy, cool, cute little part of town that everybody goes to. Mm -hmm. It's where the tourists go. Kind of Bellingham is a bit of a tourist town. And it's it's super cute. And you walk in and there's a little lounge entryway and then a, a desk and then two treatment rooms. So I'm in with just a couple massage therapists right now. And I really like it. I'm sort of hoping some things are going to change in the future. And I hope that they shake out so that I can have my dream there. Otherwise, I started looking for spaces. Bellingham is really expensive everywhere. So if my current situation doesn't work out, I think what I'm going to probably do is find a room that's big enough to kind of divide and run to like pretend it's like two rooms, if that's possible, if I can figure out how to do it. So not necessarily community acupuncture, just a space that's defined to where you have two separate areas. And you would be a solo practitioner or would you um, want to add in other modalities, other practitioners, like a co-op, or are you just solely focused on the idea with coaching and yourself as a solo practitioner? Yeah, I don't have any big gigantic dreams of running a huge practice with multiple practitioners or other modalities. I'm not really a manager of people in that way. I'm more honest than I am polite and it gets me in trouble in situations like that. So my filter's not that great. So I try to stay away from management. Okay. <laughs> just, just being honest. No, 
that's not me. That's a bad idea. It would never work. Nobody would want to work for me. Here's one of the things, though, like as new practitioners. So when I started here in Bellingham, I didn't know anybody. And I went into this office space. It's actually in front of the one where I'm working with these people now. I think if you're new, going in somewhere is a really good idea. One of the other massage therapists just the other day was like, hey, I want to learn about what you do. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm like, cool, get on my schedule. Let's do it. Because I know, I know as soon as I treat her, she's going to be super stoked about it and talk about it and tell her patients about it or her clients about it. And my business is going to grow. So that's easy. That is such an easy way to get patients. So if you have the option of not being secluded in an office all by yourself and you can be around other people, that is absolutely like amazing and perfect. Yeah. So it's a good question because currently my practice is within the chiropractic practice. However, both of the chiropractic doctors practice certified acupuncture. And so I don't think it's ideal and it's awfully confusing for patients to literally go down one hallway and be treated just according to musculoskeletal conditions, pain, palpating, and that's wonderful. And I know they're doing within their scope what's best for the patient as far as they know. But then also taking a right and going down the other hallway and being with someone who's licensed and who's treating the person holistically and, you know, differentiating and diagnosing a pattern and really getting to the bottom of it. So I'd be interested to hear your take on that part of the field. Like what, what's your take on that? What's your experience? Well, I feel fortunate that in the state of Washington, we were able to block PTs from being able to do dry needling. I don't think that we particularly blocked, or maybe this is so historical that I don't actually know or how this happened, but chiropractors are also not allowed to needle. So we don't have this conflict. However, my gut really feels like, and this, okay. Oh, this is a, this is a really, I'm trying to this is my filter. I'm looking for the filter. Give me a second. (laughs) And it just never works either. So I'm just going to say it. I just did. If you haven't listened to the interview with Marianne Janis, I think it's episode 19. I interviewed a chiropractor who has experienced every level of business, meaning she's owned a big practice, a medium practice, a small practice, a solo practice. She's been a massage therapist. Her husband was one of my professors. He is also an acupuncturist and a chiropractor, an acupuncturist trained in acupuncture school. And they ended up working in the same office. I'm going to tell you that my gut is screaming that this is absolutely not going to work. And I encourage anybody who's listening who is in this experience and it is working out to reach out to me and talk to me about it. I'm very curious. And I'm sure Sarah wants to hear about it too. Absolutely. Because... I feel like in my in my experience, chiropractors feel like we might be taking their money. If you're billing insurance and they're billing insurance and you're treating back pain and they're treating back pain, they are not going to be your friend. <laughs> you know, like and they are not going to refer to you and they are not going to no. I just don't see it working. But I would not go into a chiropractor's office. Yeah. I love chiropractors. They're awesome. Here's another thing as a massage therapist, I was friends with every PT and every chiropractor, not every, but like a lot of chiropractors in town. And they all referred to me and they all loved what I did. And nobody loves me now. This is not the love that you get when you're a massage therapist. Oh no. You are, you are officially competition. We're their best friends. When, when we are the soft tissue. Workers. Oh, they love you because you're trashing your hands for them. Absolutely. Yeah. We make their job a whole lot easier. 
we'll see if anybody tells us how it works yeah. and how to make it work. That would be, that would be cool. <laughs> so, okay. So let's talk about what's the best part of your job as, as a licensed acupuncturist. I'm going to speak very personally first, because I think that you're similar. I really noticed this when I got to school and I could no longer do massage and I was a beginner at everything and not good at anything again. My ego and my definition of myself was really dependent on other people feeling better and being empowered in their health. It was a huge loss of myself when I was in school because I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. until, of course, clinic. And then you're shaking in your boots. It's still so incredibly fulfilling when people get better. I want people to get better, but I really don't want to be attached to it anymore. I guess that's one of the things that I'm working on. And that's one of the reasons I've stepped back quite a bit. It's not healthy because I am so empathic. What I noticed when the pandemic hit and I stepped away from my practice was that I felt so much better. I felt so healthy. And like I had energy again. I also am empathic. So I feel crazy often. And it's not my crazy. I know my crazy. It's not my crazy. It's not my instability. I spent a lot of time last summer doing some serious work on how to deal with being empathic like that. In turn, it's taking time for me to redefine. That's why I need patients who are action takers. That's why I have enjoyed working with athletes because I don't have to motivate them to get on my table. They get it. I don't have to do it. So that's been a big thing for me. I think for you, it was a very, school was a very humbling experience as it is for me too, because you are right back at square one and you don't have all the experience. So that's interesting, that viewpoint. And I can definitely get where you're coming from. I also love the mystery of the medicine. I think the thing that attracted me to the medicine was that it's mysterious. I love things that are weird and outlying. I don't like what everybody else is doing. I don't want to be like everybody else. So that for me is was one of the draws for Chinese medicine. What would be the most challenging part? And I think you may have already answered this to being a licensed acupuncturist. Actually, I think I'm trying to make the, the toughest part easy for everybody else because I thought This part is the toughest part. I don't think it's tough when you're in your groove. I don't think it's tough when you have your practice. I don't think it's tough when you're five years in. I think it's tough to be a beginner. It's tough to come out and not have a ton of experience. It's tough not to know what you don't know. And it's really tough if you don't have support. That was also one of my biggest mistakes in the beginning, too, was that I didn't have any support. I didn't know anybody. This town is not full of acupuncturists who are just want to take you under their wing. It's just not. And it hurt, you know, it hurt me a lot. And it moved me to a point where I was like, well, screw this. I'll be that. I'll help you. (laughs) Let me be your support, you know, like, let me figure it out and let me line up the steps so that it's not so hard in the beginning. And these are things that don't have to be hard. Practicing and and getting your chops, so to speak, or getting good at it, that's up to you. 
But this other dumb stuff, like not dumb, I love it. It's all business. But this other stuff of how to set up a practice, how to design a website, all the things that you don't really need that extra pressure when you're starting, I'll help you with that. I'll get that out of the way and get it lined up so you don't have to think about it so much so that you can think about what it is that you love and what you want to attract and that you want to do. Once you're in, it's not hard. It's crossing the T's and dotting the I's. That's why I love the two classes that were offered within my curriculum at my school. And this is just one of two, the practice management and business basics. And they go into everything about establishing your practice from your marketing strategy to looking at your comparative analysis, your market analysis, how to build a website, what kind of resources to look into. I don't know about you, but I didn't have any of that in massage school necessarily. And so you just, you kind of throw it out and you're green and okay, where do I go? It's very important. And I'm glad I have that resource and it led me to you. So, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But what, what led you out to the West coast? Was it school or how did you choose where you ended up? Well, I was living in Boise and I love Boise. I'm an outdoors person and Boise's full of all sorts of fun stuff, but I had been living there for like 20 years or yeah, somewhere around there. And I was kind of just over it. I needed a new experience. Mm-hmm. I went to school in Portland. I had interviewed in Austin and I also interviewed, oh, I think PCOM in San Diego. I was accepted there. But ultimately, honestly, I built a tiny house on wheels. Are you talking like the tiny house from HGTV? Yes. Really? <laughs> so I had this like crashing in my 40s when... I I got caught in the recession. I went bankrupt. I lost my house. Had a midlife crisis. I my massage career ended because of the re- well, kind of because of the recession, but also because I couldn't market because my hands were so trashed. Mm-hmm. And I was seriously working at retail, selling people five hundred dollars shoes for eight dollars an hour. <laughs> that was a real low point. Anyway, I thought, wow, what can I do to make this better? <laughs> I was like, I'm going to build a tiny house on wheels. And I started talking about it. And my friend was like, you know, you should talk to my husband because he was a contractor, but he was semi-retired at the time. And she's like, he will totally be excited about this project. You should talk to him. And I did. And he and I built my house. Portland is known as being the best school, if not one of the best schools in the nation. And I chose my schools based on that. So that's how I ended up in Portland. I've lived in this tiny house for eight years. Wow. So yeah, I was one of the beginning people. Portland just boomed into this tiny house nation area while I was there, which is very interesting. But I lived in somebody's backyard in Portland when I went to school. That's what drove me to the West Coast. Now, what got me to Bellingham was that I lived here when I was 20, whatever, and I graduated with my undergraduate degree. I moved up here and checked it out. It's it's uh, gorgeous. It's stunning. Mm. We're right on the water. It's a half an hour south of the Canadian border. There's hiking and skiing at Mount Baker. There's sailing in the San Juan Islands. There's trails. There's old growth forests. And it's dark and rainy as hell all winter long. (laughs) Uh, And it's expensive. And there are a lot of places in here that I feel like I made a mistake. I have buyer's remorse with Bellingham right now, but I don't think I'm going anywhere because it takes a while to sink your feet into a new place. I never feel like I'm at home for about four years. So throw a a two-year pandemic in the middle of that, I probably am not going to feel at home for another five. But that's how I ended up here because it's stunning. One of my clinical supervisors actually told me, if you are planning on being in this line of work, 
for at least the next five to 10 years. Beyond that, you really should consider going for a doctorate degree. Mm. Do you agree with that? Do you think that that this field is going in that direction where, like many fields, you're going to need that much more education? Is that what we're going to need for a requirement to practice? Yeah, I'm not really sure what the thinking was on your your instructor's ideal. If I hear somebody say that, I think, well, who's hiring you? <laughs> right? And I think maybe she was thinking, look at what settings you want to be in. So let's say, for instance, you want to be more in a clinical setting like a hospital. You probably would need more of an advanced degree in order to even have an, the opportunity in that environment. Yeah. And the colleges as well, like the the professors at OCOM, they're really asking them to have their DAOM, not professional degree. They want the, the crown jewel, DAOM. Here's what I think about that. I don't think you're missing out if you don't go get your doctorate. And here's why. Nobody's hiring. What are you talking about? Like how many people are actually getting jobs? There are jobs. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like my analogy with this is like, how many people run to Los Angeles to become an actor? Yeah. Well, it's probably the same percentage that make it. So all of those people that go out and get their DAOM, probably the percentage that actually needs it is probably similar to those people that make it make it to the, the big screen. But I will say this. If you have the money and you want the knowledge, yeah, go. But no, I don't think that. I don't think that at all. There's no... <laughs> There's no jobs. Uh, yeah. And, and the reason I ask is because I am also not young. A lot of my cohort are much younger than me. I technically could retire in 23 years. Would I like to join you when you're working at 70? And I'm seven. That's exactly why I went back to school so that I'm not so burnt out. But yet I'm still within that profession. I'm still, you know, that body worker. I'm still working with patients. I love that kind of work. And so, that's why I ask. You know, when you hear doctor, you automatically snap into, oh, they must know what they're talking about. The thing is, to get a professional doctorate is is only $10,000 approximately. And it doesn't take that long in the scheme of things. So if you want to put that into your marketing budget and pay $10,000 for the doctor title, yeah, that's a great move. And I, and I do think it works, but ultimately what gets you patients in the door is uh, the best way is word of mouth. So just because somebody next door to me has the doctor doesn't mean that they're a better practitioner again or getting results or making lots of money or any of the things. I do think if, if you plan on teaching or if you really want that hospital job and you're going to go to LA and do all of the, the things that you, <laughs> you know, try and make it to the big screen that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, but you probably do need that. But I don't think it's worth the debt. Well, and speaking of money, as long as you feel okay sharing, what is the the amount that you're charging and what segments do you charge it? I know you just do basically um, cash out of pocket, no insurance. Yeah, if, if you could talk more to those points, I'd appreciate it. I do have a cash practice. My goal is to keep everything as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. So I my intake is 120. I usually go like... 75 minutes, maybe 90. And my treatment rate is, I think it's 80 right now. I may raise it to 85. It's the going rate for just the, for the acupuncture visit or, and I, and I do cupping in there and I don't charge extra and I don't, but you have to be careful. I'm going to say this about that. You have to be careful because if people use their insurance out of pocket, you have to print up what's called a super bill and you have to be honest about what you did there. So be careful Mm -hmm. with 
if you cup or but yeah, my my patients pay 120 for the initial visit and 80 for follow-ups. That's going to change in the future to with the coaching. The prices are all going to be different. Okay. I mean, it'll still be 120 and 80 for the acupuncture. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that, we're going to have coaching prices too. Okay. Now, do you sell any retail, any books, any jewelry, any liniments, any oils, anything, tools? I sell supplements. Supplements? Yeah, I do herbal prescriptions as well. Okay. And I actually have an herbal medicinary in my house with about 100 herbs. Wow. So sometimes I'll do bulk prescriptions and sometimes I'll do granules. Got it. And so I sell liniments and moxistics. Do you do moxa? And if you do, do you do smokeless or smoke moxa? I do moxa and it depends on where I am. I actually really like Japanese moxa, rice grain moxa. I don't know if you've been trained in that yet. I've taken a couple classes on that and I prefer that because it's not super smoky and it goes out, you put it out pretty quickly and it actually smells really good. Mm-hmm. Like the the nicer your moxa, the more expensive your moxa, the less it stinks. So I don't do the big like CV8 on your belly button with your your ginger stuff. Like I don't burn heavy duty stuff like that. I did in clinic. We did that in clinic. I guess, you know what? It depends on where I've been because I have done it in my office, but I had a window and an air purifier and I was sucking everything out at the same time. So it really depends on what my office looks like. I've had three offices (laughs) since I opened. Right now, I wouldn't do more needle technique with super stinky moxa, but I would do pole moxa and... I usually just do that to teach people and then give them a pull or I do the Japanese rice grain moxa. Let's see. I guess my only other question would be to ask what would be the best piece of advice that you could give Mm. someone who's still in school or someone who's right out of school. It's so funny. I ask all my people this (laughs) and it always just goes down to it doesn't it comes down to the same thing like find a support system. Everybody that I've talked to that has done really well in the beginning and got patients quickly and felt like it was not a painful situation and made good decisions, got help and had a support system. If you feel like you need that, I'm here. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It works well like too if you have an acupuncturist in town that you know that you can ask questions to as well. So a support system is is pretty key. Something that I did with massage, I actually didn't have the self-confidence to practice when I first graduated from massage school. And it took me five years. This is how insecure I was. It took me five years. And I graduated from the best massage school in the nation as well. Like it, I wasn't, and it wasn't, so it wasn't as bad. It was just, I didn't have any confidence. So that's my thing too. Don't wait five years. Don't wait five years. You got it. You've got so much more than you think you do. And you really, you've got it. And even if I feel insecure at any given time, like with a new patient and I'm like, mm, sometimes I'm sort of like, oh, I don't know where to start. I'm not sure this is like, I'm absolutely sure about this diagnosis. I choose a very simple treatment. You know, I usually choose Miriam Lee. I do Miriam Lee when I can't use my brain and I'm freaked out. I use Miriam Lee, her points. And I do that for the reason I read historically. She treated so many patients and those were the points that she used the most. So in my worst moment, when I absolutely don't know what to do, and I don't think I have these as much anymore. I had a few when I first started where I completely blacked and blacked out and freaked out. Yeah. So if you feel that way, that's it. You have a plan. 
and you're fine. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll be okay. Like it's, it is kind of scary, but you, it, you guys got it. It's already there. It's a seed. Yeah. That's why it's an AccuSprout. It's, it's a seed. You're ready. That's right. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. You got it. Trust yourself. Oh, I did have one other question. Okay. So I believe on AccuSprout, you had mentioned kind of your journey and, and kind of the flow of your practice. And you mentioned flow funnels. Can you explain that? Yeah. So with an online business, this is separate from acupuncture, but this is kind of my thinking. With an online business, there's what we call a flow funnel. And so you have your, and this is all marketing. So try not to shut your brain off. But like when you have your initial contact with somebody, you want to take them through a process. So we're speaking online business right now. So if I'm running an online business, I want my first contact with you. Well, it's going to be on the podcast. But then my next contact is let's get let's get you on an email list so I can communicate via email, you know, so collect email addresses. And when you do that, the listeners have then um, committed to something. They're now attached to you on two levels. They listen to me and then they're on my email list. Which, by the way, anybody who's on my email list, you'll see that I haven't emailed you yet. <laughs> I'm just reminding you what you need to do. <laughs> yes, it's just like everything. It, uh, everything takes so much time and everything's such a process. So it's just a process. But anyway, you want to do that with acupuncture too. You want that contact. Even if somebody's on your website, you actually want to somehow get their attention and get them to commit to you in one small way. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you do is create a lead magnet but you create a lead magnet that doesn't say join my newsletter. You create a lead magnet, like make it something that would cost a hundred dollars. So create some sort of wellness guide for people with insomnia or whatever your specialty is going to be, you know, give them something, give them something and they'll give you something, their email address. So that's like the top of the funnel. And then you can go further. Like I love Katria Deal. She's a, I also interviewed her and she does this. So the next thing, now you've got them on an email list. You just want to keep creating touch points so that when they eventually need an acupuncturist, then you're the person they think of. So now you've got them on the, the newsletter. I'm not going to go into what should be in the newsletter. You can create a masterclass once a month and do a Zoom masterclass and you can sell that. Mm-hmm. And then you've got another investment. People are investing. They're spending money. They're investing. And so they're going accustomed to paying for information to get better health, right? And not only that, you're building your professionalism. You're building your reputation. They're also seeing a little bit of your personality and starting to like you. And so you can do that, like build relationships that way. This is the way it's so different than it was when I started my massage practice. Like this is completely different, but this is how you build relationships now. But this is part of the funnel. And then with like with with an online business, that's why I'm, the next step for me would be uh, membership. And we're also doing this by price. So, you know, when my membership opens, it'll probably be like $49 a month to be in the membership. And then the next level would be, you know, eventually I'll develop a course taking people through every little step that you need to go through in the beginning to create a practice. And that'll be a bigger price point. But initially you just, you kind of work people through the funnel. And then if people like really like what I'm doing and, you know, I think like seven years down the line and say, you're still with me, you still like what I do. And my knowledge level has gone up and up and up and I've researched certain things. And now I have this my action hero wellness program is a completely different 
yet very viable medical practice mm-hmm. and you're interested in that, then we just have like a mastermind group and I teach you guys and that's an even higher price point. So you just kind of take people through, but it's also added value and you're at the point where you can afford it too, right? Right. You want to take your patients through a funnel like that too, a process like that, where even if they're not your patient right away, you want to have touch points and contact with them mm-hmm. and provide them with value Yeah, until they're ready to see you. Yeah. That's so that's great. what I meant. That was a great question. Yeah. You know, one little question too, it's Fairwinds acupuncture. How did you come up with Fairwinds? Is there something to that? And then I know you're in the stage of rebranding. How did you come up with the first branding or the first I you know idea or concept for your business. Yeah, Fairwinds acupuncture. Let's see here. I moved to Bellingham. The thing that finally sold me on moving to Bellingham as opposed to going back to Boise or going to some other beautiful town was um I wanted to sail. I have sailboat dreams. And there's lots of sailing right here. And so my one of my patients uh in clinic when I was graduating gave me a card and she had been in the Navy. She was retired Navy. And she wrote in the card, fair winds and following, wishing you fair winds and following seas, which is a a naval blessing of maybe like how like may the wind be at your back. May your, you know, maybe you have easy sailing, you know, have a good journey. I hope all of the conditions are really right for you. And I thought that was really awesome. It fit. And that's really kind of what I wanted for my patients is if I could offer you easy and or healing with ease, that's what I would wish for you. That's great. And what was it again? Fair winds and what was the blessing? Fair winds and fair winds and following F O L O O W I N G following seas. Following seas. I've never heard that. It's really neat. Yeah, you'll have to Google it. Yeah, for sure. Well, if unless you have anything else. I think I, I pretty much did all of that that I had on here. Yeah. My to-do list with you, my questions. I think, I think you just, you just surpassed the interviewer. That was like, <laughs> this is like the, and I'm not kidding you. You just put on like the best podcast ever. I am so glad that we recorded this. I'm so yeah. grateful that you, you allowed that stay on the line. Cause I'm just shutting down the podcast now, but man, I'm, I'm telling you that was like the best podcast and I totally appreciate your willingness to play along. Oh, absolutely. It was fun. Yeah. I had a lot of fun and yeah, it was great. we'll have to have you back in a couple of years when you, when you, lock me. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Absolutely. Okay. It's a deal. It's a deal. We're doing it. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Hey, that's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate you guys. If you appreciate what I've got going on here for you, please head over to Apple podcasts and give me a review. And don't forget, you can send me a DM on Instagram or an email at hello at accusprout.com. Let me know what you're thinking. That's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it.